This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio, Keyboard Kimura Edition. It's a very special day. I am Paul Chapman, and my co-host here on the regular co-host, Spencer Kite, is here in studio. So um, great to have you in here, Spence. But let's uh, drop the pleasantries and get right to the deals because you were in Las Vegas in what was probably one of the landmark weeks in UFC history. Yeah, probably the landmark week. I mean, three three events in three nights, 34 fights, lots of great action, lots of great performances, of course, capped off as we sort of all expected and as we all anticipated by Conor McGregor becoming the unified, undisputed UFC featherweight champion with a 13-second knockout over Jose Aldo in what was just one of those what-just-happened moments. I mean, that was, that was the reaction. And, and it was crazy because you had so much energy in the building through the walkouts, through the introductions, and then there's sort of... A quieting period just at the start of a fight and when he landed that punch and Jose Aldo fell it just got dead silent for a split second for that one beat and then it went nuts and I mean there were fans trying to climb over the guards to rush the cage it just went bonkers and we all on press row just kind of sat there looking back and forth at each other going what just happened and watching the replay and you know confirming what we had just seen that it was real that it was legitimate that it was a beautifully timed punch and and it's sort of the end of anybody having any means of challenging and questioning conor mcgregor at this point yeah so for me i'll I'll, i'm gonna be 100 honest here um i'm a conor mcgregor fan i have been along the way uh i get the hype around promoting a fight uh he did a masterful job trolling jose aldo all along going back to july and the press conference him stealing his belt and everything else but when people talked about this being you know one of the bigger events in ufc history that you must see this fight i was a little perplexed i was kind of I thought Connor had a shot to win. I know of Aldo's greatness, but it wasn't to me like you are seeing two all-timers go against each other. That's not how I kind of viewed this fight. I thought it was going to be very interesting to see how Connor lives up to this. And blah, blah. Oh my God. Like <laughs> it was such an event. Um, I, you know, I was fairly disappointed with the first three fights and we will talk about Weidman Rockhold in a little bit. But after the Weidman Rockhold fight and the adrenaline is still going, and then you have the hype and the walkouts and everything else. Uh, but completely blown away by it. And and at this point, yeah, I mean, you look at it and say, Conor McGregor is the real deal. He has to be now. Yeah, he has to be. And it's it's interesting because having been there in July when there were so many Irish fans in attendance in anticipation of of this fight when it was first supposed to happen. Um, they had the live walkouts with Sinead O'Connor there. The atmosphere for that fight throughout the week sort of felt bigger just because it felt like there were more people there. We had had the world tour build. Um, and even though Jose Aldo got hurt and it was Chad Mendez, there was still this feeling of... It being a coronation of, you know, Conor McGregor as a champion. And it kind of felt that way throughout the night for me as well on on Saturday. Especially having Luke Rockhold beat Chris Weidman, which we'll talk about in detail a little bit later. And the walkouts, they were great. They had some new elements to it that the UFC production team is is continuing to raise the bar in that regard. and, And it looked great. But it didn't necessarily feel like 
the level you expected, given that it's been a year that we've been waiting for this. But then once they got in the cage and they dim the lights and Bruce Buffer gets into his introduction and you have to give it to Connor because he just has this calm and this understanding of the pageantry of it. He strides out into the center of the octagon where the spotlight spotlights on him and he blows the double kisses and is just there soaking in this moment. And it's at that moment that everybody just went bonkers and you were like, this is really officially happening. And then we get the the finish. I mean, I don't think I don't think even Connor expected it to be one shot, expected it to be 15 seconds. I know he predicted first round. But to have it end that way and have it be both so quick but so clean and decisive, there's just no like it was funny all this, all the week leading into it because he had his movement coach there and we're seeing embedded and he's doing all this different stuff. And Connor has always sort of sounded a little new agey when he's talking about his preparation. And you thought if this backfires, this dude is going to be the butt end of so many jokes. You can't say anything right now because he has backed up every prediction, yeah. every proclamation and he just keeps looking better and better and better. So, but let me ask you this. Normally, I would say trash talk. You know, Chael Sonnen, another guy, lots of talk. Um, you think they're professionals. Uh, they, they're used to it. They deal with this stuff all the time. There's even, you know, we know John Jones, Daniel Cormier. There's a certain amount of dislike there. But I had never really given trash talk, getting in your opponent's head, so to speak, uh, that much credence. But... Even going back to the weigh-ins, you knew what McGregor was going to try and do. And to see Aldo go into this kind of strange MMA pose that was almost designed to give him space to make sure uh, Connor couldn't get in his face. And then Spencer, again, I don't know how much we read into this because I never put much countenance on it. But when the referee calls him in before the fight, Aldo will not look at him, will not look at him. And so when I look at that, you know, for all the talk of Connor saying he's scared of me, I really wonder what the hell was going on because, I mean, it's one thing you don't want to get in the stare down, but when you won't look a man in the face, it, that just seemed odd to me. The, the Aldo looking down thing has been a throughout his career. If you go back and watch any of his fights in the UFC, even some of them in the WEC, he always sort of stares at the ground. He doesn't want to look at the guy as they face up like that. The weigh-in thing, I thought, was actually a moment where I thought, okay, he's he's all right. Like, yeah. Because Aldo was the one that initiated. He gave Connor a playful little tap on the chin that started Connor in his wanting to get feisty. I thought that the six-month gap between when this was supposed to happen and when it did happen would be really beneficial for Aldo because it let him cool down. It let him sort of get away from all of the in-your-face trash talk of that world tour where we clearly saw that he was fired up. And and I thought, had they fought in July, he'd have fought stupid. He'd have fought pure emotion. And it would have been a bad night for him. But then to see him go out there, and, and that was an uncharacteristic start to a fight for Jose Aldo, who usually lets guys throw that first punch and and find his range and feel things out. So I think he was still just pretty fired up about, I'm going to go out and beat the brakes off this guy. That does that surprise me. you that a guy, I mean, undefeated in 10 it years. It really does. We're not talking, you know, if, if Connor's fighting uh, another young prospect who just can't control his emotion, fair right. enough. But I mean, the funny thing about it is, as he gets knocked out, he's he was throwing a pretty heavy landed. left hand himself actually that landed, landed and actually yeah. I think stung Connor a little bit. But um, is it just that simple to say that he just was out of his game plan because he got rattled? I think it's a big part of it. I think Connor went, Connor crossed the line with, with Aldo, who this is really the first time he's had to deal with somebody that has been, I mean, Connor is a different brand of trash talk than, than just about anybody else. But you look at, the opponents that Jose Aldo has faced. They have all been guys that have been respectful. They've all been guys that speak highly of the champion and wanting to test themselves 
in that competitive sense. And Connor is just, you know, grabbing his belt. I'm going to run through this guy. He's nothing. All the myriad things that he said. And so I think it really just was sort of, you know, the the bully that wants to go out and, and prove a pointer sort of, you know, they get sort of talked down to and, and stood up to and they want to go out and prove you have no reason to stand up for me. I'm still stand up to me. I'm still yeah. the toughest kid in the yard. And then they get punched in the mouth. And so I think he really just like, I think this was just a hell bent Jose Aldo looking to go out and make a statement, maybe not respecting and, and appreciating what Conor McGregor does. The sort of the flip of, of what he's, frustrated with McGregor about he felt like McGregor didn't give him enough respect for what he's done what he's accomplished what he brings to the cage goes out and fights like McGregor is going to be nothing gets punched in the mouth and now he's not champion and so it makes a potential rematch very high on my list of things I would like to see because not to diminish what Connor accomplished not to take away from the victory at all um but I'd be very interested to see that fight again played out over a longer amount of time. I mean, it, it to me reminds me of the first Junior Dos Santos Cain Velasquez fight where 64 seconds, Junior beats him, and you think, oh, okay, well, maybe he's just got his number. Maybe he's just the guy that has the formula for beating Cain. We have two subsequent fights since that have produced 50 minutes of punishment for Junior Dos Santos that proves it's not the case. And so after one quick decisive fight, I would really like to see a second and and even a third if it gets to that. But I don't know that we're going to get there because the UFC doesn't seem interested in moving into an immediate rematch, which is very surprising in some regards, not in others. Um and Connor's got a bunch of designs and a bunch of plans for, for what he'd like to do going forward. So we'll, we may have to wait for that. We may not ever see it. Um, it's one of the things we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. You know, I love the heavyweights, as you know, because of the big bombs that get thrown. Um, and I have a tougher time with guys like DJ. While I appreciate it is because, you know, you see someone land 47 punches and there's no damage. One of the things Connor said was, no one can take this left hand. Is that really, I mean, even Mendez, right? At the time, people were saying, look, Connor's never prepared for a, an ultimate wrestler before. You know, he's not going to be able to deal that. That's his weakness. He's, the grappling is going to be an issue. Um, and he rocked Mendez. And then, then, the, then the conversation was, well, you know, if, if Mendez had had more than two weeks to prepare for this, he would have been in trouble still. But is this what is going to make Connor McGregor the real deal? Is that he has power at that weight class that is really rather rare i think so i'm I, and it's not just the power itself and and connor talked about it after the fight yeah what a great quote talked about it at the press conference it's not just that he has power it's the speed it's the precision it's the understanding what was it precision beats precision power beats and timing power beats and speed timing beats speed um and you look at that fight and that's exactly what it is. It's not a wind up overhand big haymaker. It's actually a really short left hand that is just directly on the button. It shakes Jose Aldo's jaw. As we said, Aldo's throwing lands a good left hand as he's coming in. I believe it actually kind of cut up Connor a little bit that he had to get, you know, just, just a little bit of Vaseline and a little Q-tip put on it to, to stop the bleeding. But it really is just, he is so, so much of a marksman with that left hand and with his striking in general that it becomes so hard to deal with because, you know, as you said. Like Aldo's never it, been knocked out, knocked Aldo's down before. Been knocked out. He's been knocked down a couple of times, but it's never been to the point of like where he's rocked and on and on roller skates. It's been, he's been, he's been sat down a couple times. Chad Mendes did it a couple times in their second fight. Um, but this was out cold, unresponsive. And I think that is going to be, as long as Conor McGregor fights at featherweight, it will always be a problem because he is that precise. We've seen it all the way up. And I think this, 
this performance sort of goes back and retroactively validates all those other wins, validates all the other, you know, ones where you question, well, did that guy kind of just go down a little quick once he got hit and got stung and covered up? It's there. And so now the the interesting, one of the many interesting things going forward is if he does move up. As he's well, yeah, about, what do you think? Does it transfer? And I mean, I mean, I'm just reading right now, you know, Cowboy is was asked about it and, <laughs> and he's taking his shots back and saying, you know, he's a ballerina and, and all this, you know, you're into your lip, typical firing back too. But yeah, as we've talked about before, when a guy moves up, can he compete power wise? Guys like Johnny Hendricks have been, you know, Kelvin Gastelum, very, very reluctant to do that because they see it as a power deficit. How do you think Connor's going to do? Is it too soon, Spencer, because he's just won the belt here and all of a sudden he's looking at moving up a weight class? It's really interesting because I'm I'm of many minds of this. Um, one hand, I think, sticking around at featherweight and, and really solidifying himself further. I think there are a couple fights that make sense. Frankie Edgar, a rematch with Jose Aldo. Um, maybe one fight away from a rematch rematch with Max Holloway who was the only guy thus far to go the distance with him. Both of them suffered injuries in that fight. And so maybe it plays out differently. Max hasn't lost since has looked great along the way. Yeah. Looked great again on the weekend. And then at the same time, I think, you know, the UFC has been waiting for years to have these champions that are willing to go up and fight these super fights. And they've been looking for them. Here's a guy now, and it's usually been the guy at the lighter weight class that has been hesitant to go and take on the bigger guy because I'll be at the deficit. And here's Connor that comes out to the press conference and says, I won't relinquish my belt. I want to go up and get a second one to put on my other shoulder, just like I had in Cage Warriors. And he was successful there. Obviously, regional circuit versus UFC, so not, not quite apples to apples, but was able to do it. We know he has the frame. We know he's able to fight at that weight. And we know that 45 is a bit of a tough, is a, definitely a tough cut. And maybe he doesn't want to do it. But I think that precision that we talked about becomes a big factor. The one that may work against him is it's a whole lot of guys at lightweight that know a thing or two about wrestling. And we saw Chad Mendes take him down pretty easily and hold him on the ground for a round and a half until he thought he had an opening and and went for a guillotine, missed it, and got knocked out. But against some of these wrestlers that are there, against the Habib Nurmagomedov, who's not going to let him up, not going to let him Is he ever fighting go. again? He has to, he has to get he, back in the ring, right? He was around on the weekend, and I, I didn't want to ask him because I would yeah. be heartbroken if he said no. Um, but there are some guys up there that can wrestle. And well, that's, so I, That'll I mean, be the question. That's the funny thing, Spencer, is he's talking about moving up into what may be the deepest weight class in the UFC Easily and there's so many guys in there that you could see him him take on and and uh, it does make it fascinating uh just for time purposes because we do have other things to talk about I did want to move on to uh, the rest of the card I'm not sure how much we want to talk about beyond Weidman uh, and Rockhold which I think is getting short shrift because the Connor win was so spectacular when you think of it you know two title fights on a card and to see both champions who were not just, right. well, they're holding they the belt for now. They, they we're talking about guys that people were talking about all-timers in, in Aldo and Weidman. Um, Weidman fight to me was spectacular. Uh, you know, we can we can talk about the referee and whether he should have stopped it earlier. He should have. Um, but, but, you know, Weidman kind of came out in the first round and was showing some real technical proficiency. But then afterwards, it was just like, I don't know if he ran out of gas real early, if he got stung and it took something away from him. But from sort of, I would say, certainly from the start of the second round, Rockhold looked like the much better fighter. And I don't I don't know why that is. It was shocking to me, the dominance. And I know it was a missed kick that ended up with him being on the ground and then just getting severely punished. But even prior to that, it was like, was this a game plan issue? Was it purely talent? Was it... What was your opinion? What went on in that fight? I I think you're exactly right. I think early in the fight, Chris looked to... So going into it, I had talked to both guys. Both guys had spoken about they're going to be the ones to dominate. They're going to, you know... The other guy's in for a rude awakening. 
And I think... Which, blah, 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 usually, right? Which is usually, yeah, just a little bit of bluster, though both of these guys truly, clearly, like... You would expect them to think that way. Neither of them were just sort of blowing smoke. They both truly feel that way. And I think Chris Weidman got a little bit of a rude awakening. I think he expected to go in there and be able to muscle Luke Rockhold around. When he gets his hands on him, he's going to be able to take him down and submit him. Kind of as he did Vitor Belfort and kind of as he's done a lot of guys just be the bigger, more forceful fighter. And he was able to close the distance and get a hold of Luke. But Luke defends well and Luke is is a great grappler himself, though he doesn't get as much credit for it because he's also a really great striker and that's what he prefers to show. And I think coming out of that first sort of half of the first round... Weidman's ahead, absolutely. He's winning the fight, and I think I even scored the first round for him, ultimately. But I think there was a little bit of, maybe not a confidence break, but an, okay, I'm in for a longer night than I expected. I'm going to need to figure out some different things to do here. And his plan B wasn't as good and isn't as good as Luke Rockhold's plan A, which was, I know I can beat you in space. I know I'm the stronger of the two of us in terms of striking. I'm not worried about you, Landon. And and it was funny watching the fight. Weidman was throw, would throw these little leg kicks that would land and, you know, sort of swing Luke's leg out. And he would get this look on his face like, come on, man. This is really what you're going to throw? This is what you're going to hit me with? Like, you could throw this all day. I don't care. And he didn't. And then I think that's where we saw... As we get into that third round, Chris kind of feel like I got to try to maybe I need to try to do something a little different that he's not expecting. And he throws that ill-advised hook kick and it just becomes, you know, you see Luke Rockhold capitalize perfectly and immediately. Oh, there's put him on the ground and just there was so much time. Yeah, there was so much time in that round. Spencer, that's what I was impressed with was that. Um, and he was really patient in setting it up when he got full mount. Mm-hmm. You know, he was going for submission, and then he'd roll out and he'd change it, and then he'd go again. It was like he was completely setting Looks him up until he got in the position. And once he was in that, I mean, I don't know what your opinion is. That fight should have been stopped. I know that, that was, was it. Eighty-seven. Well. I think it was. I mean, it felt like strikes. I feel Ugh. like it was about a minute that yeah. Rockhold had yeah. full mount, and you just think. And initially, Chris was doing a good job of covering up. Like the first few shots, they're sort of bouncing off the side of the head, hitting the ear, but nothing's coming in the face. But then you saw Luke kind of just posture up, one hand down, kind of spread the arms a little bit and land the first elbow that lands. And you went, okay, this is yeah. this is different now. Now this is hit. Chris rolled. You see the blood stain on the mat and you think he's hurt. He's opened up. This is going to get bad because he's got 45 seconds still. I thought it should have been stopped. I thought it may have been stopped in between the round. I thought maybe Chris's corner or the doctor or somebody goes over and says, you know what? Live to fight another day. It's not your night. You're already busted up. When he came out, Luke Rockhold, and he said it at the press conference, like he was hoping it was done because he had... He had, he, had not, he had very little he had left. He spent a lot of that energy I that wanted he had. To, yeah. And I thought maybe this was a chance for Rock, you know, is this where we see this crazy Chris Weidman Rocky moment of, I took your best shot, now I'm coming back. But that clearly wasn't the case. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I know immediately afterwards in the ring, um, Rockhold, I mean, first of all, both guys are known for their conditioning. Yep. And Rockhold looked in amazing shape and very lean, but he he talked about getting a staph infection in his foot, cellulitis. Um, one of the things, even when you talk about the first round and Weidman was very technical, Rockhold, to me, he was landing punishing uh, body blows with his kicks. Yep. And he really looked to have pre- precision. Even before he got into the, into the ground and pound, um, he looked tired. His punches looked a little bit sloppy. And you saw the reaction after he won, which some people may write <laughs> off to being like, oh my God, I've finally achieved my dream. No, it's he exhausting. was exhausted. Yeah. And it just, you, you talk about had, had Weidman been able to survive. Um, what, what was going on there? Was that just an incredibly intense few rounds? Or 
was Rockhold, have you heard any more about how tough this camp was? Aside from the, it, sa- it sounded to me like Rockhold was almost like this was the worst prep I've ever had for a fight. I mean, he talked about it at the press conference. He was on antibiotics for two weeks in advance of the fight. He stopped, I believe, the day before. So, like, going into weigh-ins, he stopped taking the antibiotics for the, the cellulitis, the staph infection that he had in his foot. And so, I mean, that's going to limit your body a little bit anyways in terms of what you're able to do you don't have the same amount of energy we all know that from being sick and then i think there's also just and i mean we sort of mock it in mma circles all the time because we've you know thinking back to the brock lesnar shane carwin fight where it became oh big adrenaline dump and yeah but it's true it's legitimate these are real things like think about getting as excited as you possibly can. No, for a scared moment. and excited. Like and going the out fear there. of going in the in the octagon. And then after and then, wow. five minutes of heavy action in the biggest fight of your life, in front of the biggest crowd you've ever fought of on the biggest stage, and then that first five minutes is over, and you go and you sit down for a minute, and you have an exhale, and your body does just go. All right, I need. I'm I'm done for a minute. If you could give me this next round to just recuperate and get me through, we'll be okay. But then he doesn't have that reserve because yeah. he has been sick and he has been, you know, not able to do the amount of conditioning that he normally would. I thought early in the fight, as you said, he looked breathing through his mouth, heavy, deep breaths to still then have that performance and be able to come out on top makes you look forward to whatever comes next for Luke Rockhold because He has looked so damn good in his five UFC fights since his debut where he lost to a jacked-up Vitor Belfort in Brazil, um, which is sort of the fight I think he's still angling for as his first defense is to get that rematch against a non-chemically enhanced Vitor Belfort. Happens to be a pay-per-view date in March in Rio. I don't know if he's going to be ready for it, but I think that would be... I think that would be the potential launching pad that this fight hasn't been because you're absolutely right in the setup to this little segment. It's been overshadowed just because of the Connor moment. Um, but it was a hell of a performance and he is he's one of those guys that can be a big star and a transitional star yeah. for the UFC. I, I was forward. a little surprised heading into the fight how much bad blood there was between him and Weidman because they seem like very similar fighters. They both have a reputation as a good guy. Um, some of the talk was rather personal, so I don't know how much of that is just hype, but it seemed like they genuinely didn't like each other. Um, but they're both guys that sort of you hear the word classy about a lot. You know, they are sort of all American guys. Uh, they tend to do things the right way for the most part. We're not dealing with wahoos here. Yeah. And, and and I was a little surprised at that. But but what's next for, for both these guys? Romero, obviously, in the conversation... <laughs> And that would be an interesting fight because Romero you look at how lean, yeah, you look at how lean Rockhold is. I, I'm not even sure Romero won that fight. He had the most <laughs> dominant round, but it was close. But he is heavily muscled, and you wonder how we do in a five round fight. You talk about being gassed, um, and, and then I, I'm really curious on your thoughts about what's next for Weidman. I don't think there was so much bad blood between these two, and and they've sort of talked about it throughout. This felt like. And our usual sort of fill-in sidekick co-host, Dwayne Finley, kind of always phrases it as, these are the two high school football quarterbacks from rival high schools that it's just a friendly rivalry. It really just is. I don't think there was any animosity between them. It's not a dislike. It's a competitive friendship. Okay. It came across to me as a little dislike, but maybe that's just the hype, right? Yeah, and I think... It gets edited up a little bit. And I think as you get closer, there's certainly a little bit of it's my time to shine. It's I want this spot that that guy has. I deserve it. And, you know, Chris Weidman obviously saying this guy's not in my league. Um, Yoel Romero has definitely earned the number one contender spot for whatever that means. I feel weird See, I would feel weird seeing him get the next shot because he never wins fights cleanly. There's always something. I mean, that fight on Saturday night, you had the colossal fence grab that Mark Goddard shout out for rightfully stopping the position, not rewarding him with top position. 
But if he takes a point, that fight ends up being a draw and they got to do it again. So neither of them are in a position. I still think you can score the fight for Jacare Souza. So, oh, he wasn't totally impressive either. It's, you know. And so, I mean, I mentioned the Vitor Belfort possibility that Luke kind of a little bit lobbied for without really saying at the press conference, that's what I want. Weidman's the interesting one because he could very much say, I had the belt for two years. I beat the greatest of all time twice. I had three successful title defenses. I want a rematch. But I think he needs some time off. I think he needs, you know, I think we're seeing this a little more with some of these champions that catch series beatings that maybe taken six, eight, nine months to come back. So let Rockhold have one fight in there. Maybe that's the best course of action. I, I think he can make the case, and I think he will hold out to try to get an immediate rematch. But it may be better for him to just come back against somebody in that, you know, Jacare, Tim Kennedy, one of these guys that's come, Michael Bisping, <laughs> you know, what somebody in there to come back and get a win under your belt yeah, once the, you're feeling better. The interesting one, and of course, this, this is the one that won't happen because you see potential down the road is Whitaker, yeah. right? And, and that's that case we talk about. Do you want to burn him then if he right. is it? Like, is it because if, if Whitaker wins, absolutely destroys Weidman's rep for a year right. or two, like he's going to have to really dig his way out right. of that. And if he does win, he's stopping probably, you know, this guy really does have some future going up. So that's maybe one to build the other way. But you're right. You look at the other people in that division and it's a little tough. So um, just as we move along here, is there anything else from the, the card that struck you? Um, again, the first couple of fights on the main card were disappointing. Thought thought Faber was really gutsy in that last of the prelims. I thought uh, he did a great job. Yeah, um, that fight was the one that really stood out for me in terms of just kind of weird takeaways because obviously this week in, in talking with Uriah, a lot of it was about, well, I'm in a perfect position with a win to, to fight whoever wins that next title fight, be it my old rival Dominic Cruz or the kid that I brought up that has turned his back on me, TJ Dillashaw. And he got to the press conference and he talked about, I think I proved that I'm in line. And I watched that fight and I thought, if anything, it was another sign that the Uriah Faber that was a perennial contender and a dude you could count on any night of the week is gone to me. Like the old Faber gets Frankie signs rocked like that and finishes him and it's done, and we're talking about, damn, Faber looked good. This current version rocked him, couldn't put him away. Got and rocked then himself. And kind of got rocked and beat up a little bit down the stretch. And so, for me, I'm not necessarily all that interested in Faber versus the winner for a title shot because of the history of Faber in title shots even though I know it's probably the fight the UFC makes because he's the name. It's an easy sell story-wise. But I think if that Uriah Faber gets in the cage with TJ Dillashaw, he's getting absolutely trounced. And the really interesting thing for me with it is, you know, talking to TJ this week, because he was there promoting his fight with Dominic, talking to some of the guys on that team, Faber's kind of really the only one that has this the hell with TJ feeling about him right now. And obviously that stems from the Dwayne Ludwig situation and everything that went on there. But I came away from Faber's fight just kind of feeling like we're seeing, you know, the California young adult hitting that point of like, you can promote it and you, your name still sells, but I don't know that you want that. Like, I don't know that you want to go in there with the kid that's, seven, eight, nine years, your junior has been training with you for six years. And we just saw him twice crush a dude that nobody else could beat, including you twice. Yeah. Like, TJ ran through Hennon Burrell, who Faber had not a lot for in two separate fights two and three years ago. And yeah. so it's good. I'm almost positive that will be the next bantamweight title fight, regardless of who wins in January. But there's so many more interesting options in that division yeah. coming up with Aljamain Sterling, with Rafael Asensio coming back, who has a win over TJ. 
Yeah, having, that's what I would rather. I mean, he's having out, said that though, Faber is a guy who Faber's does everything for you Absolutely. know, and and he's he's yeah, look, I I think I think he's a great fighter. He's good for UFC, but it it does make it interesting, right? He's there. There are so many options right. there. Um, anyway, so and just before we move on, uh, because this is a weekly podcast. What a week in Vegas because there's the other stuff. We should touch on probably the most noteworthy Sage Northcutt continues his path. Um, Paige, you know, the Sage and Paige show. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, were you surprised how she looked? She was tough, but she really did look overmatched. I was surprised that it was that dominant. Um, I thought that the big question for me going into it wasn't, is Rose technically better or anything like that? Because I believe that was the case. I thought Paige's aggression... And her ability to come forward and, and maybe frustrate Rose was going to be the deciding factor. We saw a very calm, a very technical, a very precise Rose Namajunas who looked phenomenal. Yeah, she did. Um, as you said, super gutsy performance from Paige Van Zant to take four rounds of punishment, survive into the fifth, finally get tapped out. I think her stock... I don't think her stock changes at all with a performance like that. I think it becomes... Oh, she's 21. She's 21. It becomes a building block. It becomes a learning point, kind of similar to what we saw with Rory McDonald in various fights along his path. This is kind of her Carlos Condit fight. Yeah. Um, Sage Northcutt, I mean, it's crazy to me that he tops the payroll for that show, that he walks home with 40 and 40 in his second fight is absolutely bonkers. I think... We, I mean, Cody Fister took him down and was controlling him on the ground until the referee decided to stand that fight back up. He's 19. Yeah. You, like, he's 19. He has seven pro fights. So I think that fight showed you really have to handle him with kid gloves. You really have to be careful who you match him up against because he struggled a little bit with a guy that's in the lower tier of the deepest division. And so... You can't rush him too quickly. You can't do anything too much with him. And if you continue to force feed fans, this guy that isn't quite even ready for the middle class of that division, you're playing with fire a little bit. And so, and then Friday night, I mean, Frankie Edgar just looked phenomenal as he has throughout these last Last two years, really. I think for a guy, I don't want to say he was on the edge, but... Career momentum kind of stopped a little bit in the last two years. It's just been like gangbusters. Dominant performances the last two years. Chad's now in a weird spot of like, what the hell do you do with him? And and Dana made the case Friday of like, well, look who he's lost to. Absolutely. It's Frankie and Jose Aldo and and Conor McGregor, but he's now lost. Alex Gustafson territory. And he's, it's exactly Alex Gustafson territory. He's lost three of four. He's clearly one of the best in the division, but do you run him back in there right away with, you know, a Max Holloway. And that was the weird part of this weekend is people being like, well, Jose Aldo can fight Max Holloway or Chad Mendes can fight Max Holloway. And it's like, why would you do that to the the one fresh guy in the division yeah. when these other guys need some rehab? So a lot of really interesting. And the crazy part is a bunch of it is interconnected because Connor wants to play in two divisions. So yeah. going to be crazy to see sort of the now, fallout of this this you, week. You talk about fallout, though, Spencer, and this is remarkable. Ned obviously planned it this way, just the rolling <laughs> amount of, of talking points and events because we've got a free one this weekend <laughs> that, in my opinion, has three fights that belong in a pay-per-view, and they're all on free. Of course, we'll, this will call us the, the fight of the week section of our podcast. There's Dos Anjos facing uh, Cowboy. Um dos santos facing overeem and michael johnson against diaz and in my opinion michael story that didn't get enough play michael johnson was absolutely screwed in his last fight there is no way he lost that fight a guy with a ton of momentum um and fighting a diaz brother that's always going to be noteworthy so i mean three great fights on free tv that comes after this you know sort of landmark pay-per-view it's uh if you are a UFC fan, you can't complain about this for sure. Yeah, it's been crazy. And and just to round out the main card, kicked off by Canadian Randa Marcos taking on UFC newcomer, undefeated um, Polish kickboxer Karolina Kowalkowicz. Um, just, it is. It, it's a phenomenal card. I mean, I think you're right about, about Michael Johnson. Anytime you put a Diaz in there, it's going to draw attention. He has looked phenomenal over his last bunch of fights probably would be in that championship mix if not for a very questionable decision last time against Benil Daryush. 
Um, I know we will get two heavyweights because you love heavyweights, and this is a fight that we've been waiting for for a bunch of years. Main event is is one of those. Really can't wait to see what happens. There's obviously a lot of talk going around in the MMA Twitter and, and MMA message boards about how different Rafael Dos Anjos apparently looks now that USADA has come around. Um, but Cowboy is a guy that has been close to this point before and never been able to get over that hump. He's looked demonstratively different his last bunch of fights that he's on this winning streak since his first fight with RDA. But here he again, is. Again, and I'm a Cowboy fan, and I think he has been remarkable, and it was a short notice deal. I don't think he won the fight against Ben Henderson, Neither but it's, it's in it's in the record books. But he 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 has he didn't have a lot in the tank because, and he was very frank about that. But yeah, he has been on a roll. But just yeah. to be honest yeah. with the stats, it, there it feels like. I mean, this Rafael dos Anjos being the champion at this point even still feels awkward because the guy we mentioned earlier that we don't know if he's ever going to come back, Habib Nurmagomedov, who is undefeated, has beaten Dos Anjos cannot get healthy, not even stay healthy, just yeah. can't get healthy to get back and have a fight to put him in position. Um, so that sort of has been a weird element to this, but great fight where you have a bunch of questions. As you said earlier, Cowboy is is all but ready to welcome, as he calls him, McNugget to the lightweight division should he win this belt on the weekend. Um, Dos Anjos said it himself Back in September at the Go Big press conference, bring it on. It's easy money. Um, I'm curious to see sort of if all of these rumors and all the scuttlebutt is true that he doesn't look as bricked up and as, as strong as he did against Anthony Pettis. Um, and interested to see if Cowboy is, is really a changed man in terms of his mental fortitude. Seemed it on Saturday when I talked to him. Seemed... Locked in seven days out, but was still in cowboy mode of we're jumping on the bus and we're driving down and we're stopping in New Orleans to have some fun. And then we'll hit Orlando and we'll wakeboard and we'll do all our usual cowboy stuff. So crazy fight with a lot of implications. Absolutely. Only because you brought him up. Um, where is Pettis in this conversation? <laughs> because he seems like a forgotten man. I mean, obviously overwhelmed in one of the more shocking uh, title defenses and a loss, uh, and then in some injury issues. But you know what's going on with a guy who's supposed to be really one of the future uh, linchpins for for the UFC. Set up for his return in Boston against Eddie Alvarez, which is a tough fight. Eddie Alvarez coming off a good win over Gilbert Melendez, um, fought Cowboy in his debut. Didn't look great in getting a loss, but debut and Cowboy on a roll. Pettis is a very interesting guy in this. I mean, we talked after that title fight and and subsequently in the months since that losses like that are the ones where you really find out what a guy's made of and i don't know that pettis is made of the same metal to come back right away and be just showtime the guy that he was yeah, yeah because so much of showtime was built on confidence and swagger and just that unwavering self-belief to then go in there and have it smashed away um he got a little big in between which i mean listen you're a pro fighter you got yeah. some time off enjoy yourself you starve yourself and deplete your body for weeks at a time preparing for fights but i think there was a little bit of just i need to retreat and so his fight in Boston will be a huge telling point for where he is. If he comes out and looks like the Anthony Pettis of old that just wrecks shop against guys, Eddie Alvarez is a tough dude that has been in some wars. He is hittable. Um, so if he comes out and styles on him and, and we see the old Showtime, he'll very much be right back in that conversation. Yeah. But that's a huge question mark for me because it's a fight where if he's not the same guy, Eddie Alvarez can come in there and just bulldog you. And then you're looking at two straight losses. And the dude that was on the cover of a Wheaties box less than a year ago is nowhere to be found. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a diversion from what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. But uh, the reason I brought it up was, you know, you, we were talking about Connor earlier and he's just such a, he's almost like a forgotten man in the, in the division. But you talk about the Wheaties box. This is, if you go back, you know, if you rewind a cup three years, 
and you look at GSP, Jones, uh, Anderson Silva, you know, even Kane in the discussion at that point being untouchables. Then a guy like Pettis comes along, wins the title, and it looks like he's the future. And again, then Weidman and Rousey, and, and we know Jones is the only guy for his legal troubles, you know, has removed him. But honestly, rewind to various points. And if someone told you all these things were going to happen, and certainly being a Vegas guy, man, if you would put odds on all these people not holding the right. title, like if you would, what, what odds would you have got to say that Weidman, uh, Aldo, Jones, and Rousey would not be the champions of their weight divisions come the end of the year. It's insane what's happened here. Is it a good or bad thing for the UFC? Because they really sell <laughs> their champs. And I go back, we talked about the reaction of Rousey, how she looked like, and great interview with her, by the way, within uh, uh, yes, ESPN. Um, and I thought one of the one of the most interesting things she said, which I think is applicable to all these people, especially when we saw the reaction of Aldo, and and Weidman to a lesser degree, Rousey said that she was felt like she was grieving the invincible Ronda Rousey, like it was actually a part of her personality that had then gone with that undefeated record. And I think we saw that from Aldo, this just utter disbelief that he'd lost. And I think Weidman was just rocked as well. Um, it's really interesting to see, though. Again, I ask you, sorry, I cut you off before you <laughs> answer, but is it a good or bad thing for the UFC? I think it I think it all comes down to how they play it, what they do going forward with these new champions. And I think what we've seen from the aftermath of the Rousey Holly Holm fight, where Holly Holm has been front and center, she has been making the media rounds, she has been they've done a good job of it not being so go, coming out of the first Anderson Silva-Chris Weidman fight, it felt to me like we got the, oh, this was just a fluke. The yeah, great Anderson absolutely. Silva will be back. And they haven't done that with Holly. They haven't done the big, like, the undefeat, unbeatable Ronda Rousey will be back. This is just a hiccup. They've done the, my God, Holly Holm is phenomenal. This was a great performance. Look at Holly Holm. And I think if they continue to do that, with these new champions while still maintaining these these beaten title holders that we know it gives you an opportunity to have more stars which is always the thing you're gunning for i think some of the rematches that they will make we we know that rousey home two is is on the horizon i think they have the potential to elevate those champions even further um but at the same time if they don't do it right, if they don't find a way to promote these people that that fans were just starting to get connected with. I mean, Rafael Dos Anjos has been invisible since he won that title. And some of that is language barrier. Some of that is marketability, things like that. He's, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum of Showtime Anthony Pettis. But it's again where the UFC has struggled at times when, when they don't have people that can tra talk trash or fit a certain easy-to-fill marketing sector, they're not sure what to do. I think Luke Rockhold is an easy-to-market, easy-to-promote guy. Um, you see sort of some of these Brazilian champions now, Fabricio Verdum as well, kind of been under the radar since his win. Um, obviously in their markets in Brazil, in Latin America, growing and becoming bigger stars but for north american audiences i think it's going to be critical to these next coming fights that they all have how they play out how they're promoted how they're built so that they're used as platforms where whoever wins is able to extend to a larger platform and and become a bigger star yeah you know for me i would say that that's it's um man there's so many parallels but there was this debate in golf about, you know, Tiger Woods moves the needle, but it's bad for golf because, you know, no one knows any of these other players. But golf to me has been off the radar since Tiger Woods has fallen out. Yep. You know, yeah, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, you know, Adam Scott, uh, Bubba Watson. Like when it's just a different white guy in a ball cap winning every week, I don't know that you have that engagement in the attachment. Right. For me, if some of these fighters, you know, the, the invincibles that lose, if they can come back and you make it interesting and there's an unpredictability about it, I think the marketing to me, the hype and the trash talk and that, 
the approachability is one thing, but look, I think the John Jones, Daniel Cormier stuff is great, but I like John Jones because I see him throw these spinning elbows and stuff right. in the ring. And that's for me is where's your way back in? You know, right. Johnny Hendricks looked like he was going to be one of these guys, but since he lost the title, it's like, well, what's happening with Johnny Hendricks? And this is the issue. Sergio Pettis, or sorry, um, Anthony Pettis, after he loses, where's his, like, where's the next dominant performance to see him come back? And this is the debate back and forth. Rousey is now in this really weird category because she was like, oh, she's going to destroy everyone, maybe fight Cyborg and ride off to Hollywood. (laughs) But now, is she going to have another fight or is she just going to evaporate? Like, once that bubble has burst, is that it for them? And that's, to me, the dilemma for UFC. Now, this... I've stumbled in by accident into the heavyweight issue because Junior Dos Santos destroyed Kane. And okay, he lost those next two fights in dominant fashion. But you want to see that guy still show that championship ability so you have this hype. And I think that overall is the disappointing thing when these big guys, even GSP and Anderson Silva, they're in that position as all-timers. And once they lost, it was like it was gone. Well, and the weird thing to me, and it... and. The thing for me is that's why I don't necessarily like these immediate rematches because, and we've talked about it on here before, I want to see, as you said, that fallen champion start to build back up and become that juggernaut. And Ben Folks and Chad Dundas on their podcast, The Co-Main Event, which everybody should listen to because it's great. Not as good as this, but it's pretty solid. Um, Talked about... Their opinion being that Jose Aldo needs to follow Conor McGregor wherever he goes. Conor goes up, Jose goes up. Just start beating fools and be like, now you're ducking me. Let's go. Yeah. And I would rather see that. I would rather see Cain Velasquez fight a couple more people at heavyweight and put on just smashing machine victories like he did after the first Dos Santos fight against, or after each Dos Santos fight against Antonio Silva, where he just crushes somebody and you're like, yeah, okay baddest man on the planet i'm in i don't necessarily want to rush back into these rematches because if that dom if that defeated champion loses again then it's two losses in a row if they win then we're looking at trilogies and divisions stall and there's only so many times that you can tell me that as much as it's true that chris reidman and luke rockhold would be a great trilogy i don't need to see it all play out in two years like we saw with junior and kane and so i want to see some of these guys get a little bit of space, get a little bit of opportunity. And so you you talk about and we get to this Junior Dos Santos fight. He's had some he's had an opportunity to fight since since the third fight with Kane, beat Stipe Miocic in a very close fight last December, but doesn't get any momentum from it because he gets beaten up so bad because he is dealing with so many injuries that it's so you almost forget about him in this division even though he's this maybe second best, third best fighter in the heavyweight ranks that going into this fight with Overeem, yes, it's the finally these two are going to fight, but you don't really feel like he's right there because win or lose, he's probably going to be off for another year because he takes a wicked amount of punishment and can't stay healthy. And so you don't build any of that momentum. And, And I think that's what 2016 and going forward needs to be about for the UFC is just building as much momentum for guys that they get to a point that fans get to a fever pitch with them where it's like, I can't wait anymore. I want to see this guy get his opportunity. And and it's the dilemma for the UFC is when they are just looking to sell tickets versus really how do things shape up properly. And I know they have to walk that line. Dynasties are good for sports. I mean, people... People may hate the New England Patriots, <laughs> but the fact that they're there every year, you want to see them lose, right. um, and I, I or or you want to see them win if you're a fan of it. And I think that that's it's just interesting to me that when guys have fallen off the top of the mountain, or not just guys, because Rousey's there as well, it's like it's over. And and I'd like to see a little more back and forth. And I think that's the way it was back in the old days. You know, is it Liddell? Is it Forrest Griffin? Is right. it is it Tito Ortiz? And light one may lose to the other, but you zip in and out. Never more interesting than when there were five guys at the top, sort of trading the belt back and forth from yeah. Rampage to Forrest to Shogun to Machida. You know, that was when it was at its most interesting because you had four, five, six guys that you were really interested to see title fight or non-title fight to set up that pecking order. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's funny though, as they do pick their stars to market. You know, certainly Connor is one of the ones. There were a lot of people sort of. I, I saw a picture. It was before the Connor fight, obviously, because Connor is perceived a little bit as Dana's guy because they know he's just great for business. But when Weidman lost. There was a picture of of White sort of standing in between as they're raising Rockhold's hand with his sort of head down and saying, "Oh, it's been that kind of year for Dana, right?" Um, but you know, I, I I still think it's I don't know what else you want to talk about here for the uh, the championship rounds because we've kind of gone all over the place. Um, but it's gonna it's setting up as a really interesting 2016, and of course, you know, we start off seeing Robbie Lawler back in the ring. I think the John Jones return is huge. I won't go get into it because I know. It, it's fun to have people to cheer against as cheer for. And I know I'm on the wrong side of this for a lot of people, but I thought Daniel Cormier was being a little bit of an attention hog there in the ring with Luke Rockhold, but maybe that was just me. It was sort of like, anyhow, that's, that's, (laughs) but, but it's, those are the names that are immediately going to be at the start of 2016, but it's going to be interesting to see where all these people go so that we've just, you know, we've seen how their years ended at what's next year for them. Well, and that for me is, is the really cool thing that I'm looking forward to of next year is that this year has been a huge bounce back year for the UFC, both in terms of, you know, pay-per-view buys, box office records, attendance record in Australia. So many things queued up going into 2016 that they have all of these options that they have some people that are starting to really break over into the mainstream and, and bring in some new attention that, isn't necessarily there. We see different outlets that weren't doing this stuff. As you mentioned earlier, Ramona Shelburne doing great work with Rhonda pre and post the fight with Holly Holm that I just really hope we get to have for the most part continued health of these guys that the schedule gets to just keep moving along as it has. And we get to see where these divisions that are super interesting, where the Conor McGregor thing goes, because that's two divisions, where, you know, John Jones ends up once he comes back with the light heavyweight division and maybe heavyweight down yeah. the road. And, you know, what happens at heavyweight because we have that rematch now, well, whatever. Officially, now officially on the books for Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. And, and just but you look at JDS and Overeem and how what really what a huge fight that is. this this could end JDS's career. Yeah. I, I, I'm not being over dramatic there, but nope. just after looking so non-competitive against Kane, um, if Overeem really does a number on him, you know I don't think JDS won his last fight. I think it was fortunate to get that decision. Yeah. Took a ton of damage as well. So you know where does he go? At the same time, Overeem's nine. Can you suffer another setback? It's it's fascinating. That's why I love this free card this weekend. Yeah and. And it is a great card on Fox. And then I believe prelims are on FS1 in the States. So TSN something or other here. Um, I think they said CTV2 looking oh, at their website. Might, if if yeah, you even CT- know, have that CTV2 channel. CTV2 will be the main card, I think. Uh, yeah. Prelim yeah. is on is on TSN. Prelim. prelim Four. T- yeah. Um, I mean, that's another like side note thing for next year is does TSN get better with their coverage? Oh my God. I told you this because as as you're watching the broadcast, even if it's the pay-per-view, you're seeing all this push to FS1, even the post-fight pressers, which, you know, they're covered by FS1 and TSN refuses to show it. Instead, we're going to uh, replays of of Toronto Blue Jays batting practice from April on all four stations. It's ridiculous. Yesterday, saw a story um, on Yahoo Sports Canada about sort of curling, assuming its place in the Canadian sporting landscape in terms of television. And it had the top 20 ratings for the weekend in sports. And the UFC prelims aren't there um, on TSN, even though Uriah Faber, who is one of the 10 most recognizable UFC fighters wow. going right now. But Spencer, I, it's, it, you know, it's, I, it's unfortunate. I'm cutting you off because <laughs> I know I, I have huge issues. Well, apologies about that. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there. Uh, so Spencer... Why don't we just uh, wrap up by talking about what, uh, you know, your overall impressions of, of the week that we've had and the, the what we've got coming up here. Um, it, it really was a crazy week. It was, it was a great week. And I think one of the things that got asked um, on Saturday at the press conference was, is this going to be something that we see going forward? Will we see it again? 
Um, UFC's senior VP of uh, public relations, Dave Schaller, confirmed that it is something they will do in the future. I think it made perfect sense. It was a lot of work on their side. They did a great job executing everything. Um, a lot of work on our side from a media standpoint, running around to lots of different events. But you got you got sort of exposure to all levels, all three platforms that the UFC runs, tons of fights, tons of content for your websites and for readers to, to consume. And it set the stage. It felt to me like a great, and I know we have an event this weekend, but it felt like a great end point of 2015. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it both in July when they do the annual 4th of July show and the expo and things like that. And then again in December every year, it will always be in Vegas because Vegas is just easier because everything is right there. Yeah. Um, but just a, a really incredible week. Great to be down there for it. Great to see all the stuff that comes out of it. They, I think they booked it all right in terms of, you know, we had number one contender fights in the two divisions where there were title fights. So we had conversations coming out right away. You had guys like Tony Ferguson that use the attention and the the focus of the media being there to really have another breakout performance against Edson Barbosa. Um, just a great weekend all around. Kind of tired, ready for, for a day off or a couple of days off, but we've got yeah. another event. So we'll take that during Christmas week and, and get ready then for... UFC 195. Um, it's been a crazy year, and I'm off for the next couple of weeks, so I won't be around. Uh, you will be doing the podcast still, I believe, with Dwayne. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we'll grab Dwayne. F- figure we'll something grab to Patrick do. And- um, but it's been an amazing, it's been a, a really amazing year. And again, I think that it's good if you look back and see where we were at the start of the year. There's no way you would have predicted everything that would have happened and um, some great storylines. And I think they'll continue next year as well. And uh, a lot of questions, a lot of tough things on the horizon for UFC, but I I like what you said about how this week and how it went. And we've got the 4th of July show, you know, for better or worse, there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn to wrestling and wrestling does a really good job with its season, with its calendar that, you know, you know, there's flexibility for some new things to pop up along the way, but there are some standards when they have their pay-per-views and what they're called and what the big shows are. And I think that they're evolving into a nice thing here. They, you know, the UFC constantly is wanting to be in that conversation with the NFL and the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. I think coming to a standardized schedule when you know when the big fights are, you can sort of plan around it. I mean, if I know every December now that there is going to be like a week of fights or four days of fights uh, and I'm guaranteed a big title fight, I may think earlier in the year, you know what? No, I'm not going to go away in the summer because I'd like to go to Vegas in December. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, and, and that's sort of been one of those things that I've written about in the past and advocated in the past. UFC is never going to move away from their model of a pay-per-view every month and they're not going to reduce the schedule to, you know, back when it was six, seven, eight years ago of of two events a month or one event a month so that, you know, everything becomes compact in these massive cards. But if you set up what they've talked about in the past and, and tried to do and are getting to these tentpole events, as you said, where you know... Memorial Day weekend is going to be a big show in Vegas. Fourth of July is going to be a big show and the Fan Expo in Vegas. And now going forward, probably similar to this. Year end has always been a big show in Vegas. We saw it this week. Um, Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. Always. When you have. Well, and even, you you know, last year. You can just plan out for. Yeah. And you look to those being the biggest ones. It makes having those smaller ones that maybe don't do as good numbers, that don't have the same magnitude of names, it makes them okay because you have something to look forward to that you can count on and you know is coming. And I think that's always a a good thing in combat sports, WWE, whatever it is. And last year we did see, you know, the early January Cormier Jones, and we've got that again. I think that's a great date as well. January 2nd, you know, you're through the Christmas and New Year's excess. You kind of maybe feel like staying home. (laughs) I think that first January after New Year's, uh, first Saturday after New Year's, is a, is a fantastic time for a pay-per-view, and we got that again. So you can almost see the way it's trending. Who knows? Maybe they'll pull the rug out from my dress, but I, I think it's a good thing. And there is lots of time for you to talk about that. But again, looking forward to seeing Robbie Lawler back in the cage. Uh, I'm not sure when Rory's coming back, but it's going to be interesting to see because that 
that is one hell of a of a weight class too. So many questions there. What happened to Johnny Hendricks? You know, we're seeing some other guys in the division below grumble a little bit about that. Damian Maya demanding Damian a rematch. Damian Maya looked great. He did, but he lost, you know <laughs> Rory handled him so well. Right. I don't you know. Yep. Lots of questions, um, but anyway, it's going, an it's going to be an interesting year. Yeah, and I can't wait for that pay per view. So, uh, best wishes for the holidays, to everyone. Spencer, thanks for coming in. Thanks for all your hard work in Vegas. At uh, Spencer Kyder on Twitter, K Y T E, as I always let you know, and also um, at Keyboard Kimura uh, at theprovince.com. So, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see talk to you in 2016. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.